Welcome to this week's virtual drasha. This week we have the incredible privilege of the parshas of Chukas and Balak. And of course, it's especially exciting for us in the diaspora communities, as now, after a number of weeks of being behind our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael, we finally catch up, and all of Klal Yisrael is on the same Kriyas HaTorah schedule. The parshas themselves are filled with many incredible mitzvos, dramatic stories, but I want to draw your attention to the beginning of Parshas Chukas. For it is here that the Torah outlines the halachas of the paraduma, the red heifer. We know, we know the concept. Person becomes ritually impure through contact with the corpse. Person becomes tame. So the Torah outlines how do you purify such a person from Tomas Mace, from ritual impurity, from contact with the corpse. You take that paraduma, the red heifer, it's actually slaughtered outside of the confines of the base of Mikdash on Harazesim, on the Mount of Olives, opposite the Temple Mount. You go ahead and you slaughter it, you burn it. You take the ashes. You mix the ashes with spring water, and then ultimately, again, a Kohen is, is able to administer the waters. He takes the mixture, sprinkles it on the person who is Tomei on days three and days seven. It's a seven-day purification process. And after those two sprinklings on day three and on day seven, ultimately the individual becomes Tahar. The individual becomes ritually pure. There is a fascinating detail, however, in Paraduma, which is that the Kohen, who administers the water. So the coin himself, who is tar, who is ritually pure, when he administers the water upon the person who is tame, he, the coin, becomes tame. Yet the person being sprinkled upon becomes tahar, ultimately becomes ritually pure. Now the truth is, it's a strange dynamic. So again, so just to understand, the person who is tar, who is pure, but yet administering the waters, he becomes tame. Yet the individual who is tame being sprinkled upon, he becomes tahar. Now the truth is, everyone notes this particular peculiarity in this halacha, but the truth is often it's explained away by just the general concept that para aduma is the paradigmatic chok. We know, for example, in the world of mitzvahs, we have 613 mitzvahs, every single one of them beautiful, magnificent. There are certain mitzvahs that we understand. Right, certain mitzvahs that are intuitive. Intuitive. Honor your father and mother. I got it. Don't kill. Don't steal. Those things make sense. Then there are other mitzvahs where they may not be intuitive, but after I understand them, they make sense. Shabbos. I don't know that intuitively I would have I would have rested on the seventh day, but now that I understand that Hakadosh Baruch Hu rested, I rest on day number seven. Ultimately, again, to yield complete creative prowess over to the devotion to, to acknowledge God as the ongoing Creator. Again, intuitively, I would not have come to it on my own. But Lamaisa, once it's explained and once it makes a lot of sense, and then there's a third category of mitzvos. Third category of mitzvos are chukim things which the truth is don't seem to have a rational explanation. And chief amongst the chukim, the paradigmatic chok, zisig parsha paraduma, the red heifer. Why is it that the ashes of a red heifer mixed with some spring water and a couple of additional items, a couple of additional ingredients, somehow allows the person to become tahar? I don't know. Kashparuch who says it works, so it works. Similarly, why is it that the person who is Tahar, who administers the water, becomes Tameh, yet the person who is Tameh, who is sprinkled upon, becomes Tahar. So the truth is, the reason this question doesn't keep us up that much at night is because, again, we just we answer it by saying it's a chok. It's a chok. It's something that's not understood. And remember, what's the role of a chok in Yiddishkeit? The role of a chok is it teaches us obedience. 
to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know, there are certain things I'm not going to understand, but even if I don't understand it, I'm in. I'm in. That's what allegiance is. That's what obedience is. If I just do the things that I understand, or just do the things that I appreciate, or just do the things that appeal to my intellect, then I'm not really committed. But if there's a chok, which I have no idea, again, rationally, it doesn't make any sense to me, but Baruch who said to do it, so I do it, that's relationship, that's commitment, that's obedience. But the Baal Shem Tavak Kodesh says, but still, but still, I understand it's a chok, I understand. But the Torah is a Torah schayim. The Torah is a living, breathing entity, and there has to be something that we could learn from every single mitzvah, even if I can't intellectually or rationally wrap my head around it. As such, says the Baal Shem Tev HaKadosh, what is the life lesson of Para Aduma for us? And more specifically, what is the life lesson to be learned from the fact that the same waters that make one person Taha, ritually pure, make another person Tame, ritually impure? It's the same water. It's the same water, it's the same mixture. So how could it be that the person who was Tame, who gets sprinkled upon, now becomes Tahar, and yet the person administering the water, who was totally Tahar, now becomes Tame? What's the life lesson in that? And the Vashem Deva Kodesh says something absolutely beautiful, and I'll quote to you. He says, Kan dugma ligeos va'anava. The Vashem Deva says that the takeaway message of Paraduma essentially is that one entity, one thing, could have a duality, could have two identities, and mean something dramatically different for two people. The example the Bashan Devakadish gives is when it comes to arrogance and humility. Right? If you were to stop a person on the street, tell me, is arrogance good or bad? The person would say, bad. Is humility good or bad? Humility, excellent, beautiful. So the Bashan Devakadish says, that the truth is, it really depends. And listen to what the Rebbe says. The Rebbe says, sometimes, sometimes humility could be the most incredible thing in the world. He says, Adam, shurachok, so humility could be the most incredible thing. Now, let me read it to you. He says, Adam, shurachok mod me'avodas Hashem. So you could have a person who is very distant from HaKadosh Baruch However, we all have moments like this in life where as a result of just some poor life decisions, some big mistakes, I just find myself distant from the Ribbono Shalom. He says, Mikima Mitzvah, such a person is distant from Mitzvah, distant from Torah, distant from Hashem. He says, in such a situation, he says, humility, Anava, is the worst possible trait a person like this could have. He says, because what happens? When a person like this has too much humility, a person who is distant, he says, ah, he says, who am I? Who am I? Like, what am I? Look at all the mistakes that I've made. Look at how many wrong turns I've made in life. And that sense of humility just drives a person further and further away, distances them more and more. The Rebbe says, Avro tov kitsas geos. A little bit of arrogance is good for this distant person. Al yagid mi ani This person should never be so humble to say, Who am I that I should dive into Hashem? Who am I that I should try to rebound? Who am I that I should try to go ahead and pull myself together? So the Rebbe says something amazing. So, so listen, to the, listen to what the incredible idea of the Vashantavakadish. 
Sadab is saying you could take one trait, humility, where on one hand, again, I'd say the most incredible trait in the world, Va'ish Moshe Anav Mikalav, the paradigmatic virtue of Moshe Rabbeinu was humility. Yet, for the person who is distanced from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, humility is the worst thing he could have. Because in his humility, he'll just stray further and further and further, thinking that he's unworthy of coming back. What does the distant person need? He needs some gaiva. He needs some arrogance. Healthy arrogance. What he needs to be able to say is, you know what? I'm special. I'm good. I'm holy. I am a child of Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. I am a spiritual descendant of Moshe Rabbeinu. I am a spiritual descendant of Aaron Cohen, of David Melech, of Shlomo, of all the Ishbiz, and invite everyone in. Right? That's who I am. Sometimes in order to come back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, after massive defeat and failure, you need a little bit of gaiva. You need a little bit of arrogance. You have to remind yourself of who and what you are. So it's incredible. Yet, for the individual who is doing what he is supposed to be doing, Baruch Hashem, for the individual who is living up to his or her potential, arrogance could be the death knell of dynamic activity. That person needs humility. So it's incredible that Abba says. So for one individual, humility is the worst thing. Arrogance is the best thing. For the other individual, for the other individual, arrogance, arrogance is, is the brick wall that will stop all dynamic activity. And what they need is a sense of humility. So the Rebbe says, this is the takeaway from Para Aduma. Recognizing the same way that the same waters for one person cause Tara purity, for the other individual cause Tumah, is to teach us about this dialectic in life. That in life, I need different things at different times. And in one moment, a certain midah could be healthy, and the next midah could be destructive. And that same midah that was destructive, now ultimately becomes healthy. And then it becomes destructive. But it's the same midah. It's the same thing. So sometimes I need to be humble because that pushes me forward. And sometimes I need to be arrogant because it's the arrogance that will help me rebound in the aftermath of a devastating life failure. Life is a mixture of qualities, of midos, of character traits, of attributes, and part of the challenge of life is to know when to draw on which thing. When is humility good and when is humility bad? When is arrogance good? When is arrogance bad? So and it's an incredible idea. So if somebody were to ask me, before I learned this Baal Shem, if to ask me, is arrogance good or bad? I say, of course, across the board, it's bad. But no says the Rebbe. No says the Rebbe. What Paraduma says is that one thing could have that duality of identity. One thing could create Tara, one thing could create Tuma. It depends on who you are and where you're holding in life. But to focus for the last few moments of our time together, just on the real takeaway message of the Rebbe, of how do we rebound in the aftermath of devastating failure? Because, dear friends, don't we all experience this? Don't we all have those moments where I think to myself, this time, I really messed up. This time, this is it. This is like the nail in the coffin. This was it. I said so many times I wasn't going to do this again. I said so many times I wasn't going to repeat this behavior. So many different times in life. I just, I wasn't going to go down this road. And here I am once again. Here I am once again. We've all, eventually we've all had those moments. 
I have plenty of those moments. Just today I had plenty of those moments. We all go through these ups and how do we rebound in the aftermath of devastating failure? And here the Rebbe teaches us, the Rebbe explains to us that sometimes what you need most in the aftermath of devastating failure is a little bit of arrogance. Sounds strange to even say, but that's what you need because the arrogance reminds me, I'm special, I'm unique, I'm holy. It's true I've messed up, but I have so much to give. I have so much to offer. I have so much to be. Sometimes the best way to pick ourselves up in the aftermath of defeat is not to remind ourselves of our failures, not to kick ourselves when we're down, but to remind ourselves of our personalistic greatness, to have a little bit of healthy gaiva, because that's the key to getting back up. Wishing everyone a good Nair Shabbos and a beautiful Shabbos Kodesh.